But yeah, it is good to be back. Mm -hmm. I was also missing in my schedule. I feel like also since it's at the beginning of the day, it's for the day. Yeah, you it's know, also I earlier in the week, which is at nice. Night, so at least I have my morning started off. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I also <laughs> Okay, but now that it has been two weeks, so we have to remember what we were talking about. The bracha we are in is Rokaha Aras Al Hamayim, thanking Hashem for firmly setting land over waters. Um, and we've spoken about the idea that the waters were separated and that the creation of the waters being separated is not even described in the Torah as kitov. Hashem doesn't say that's good because that's separation. That's division, even though it's a necessary part of creation. And it only becomes kitov on the third day when the um, land was commanded to come up and to hold back the waters. And now the waters are collected down. And now this whole project is somehow finished, and that's called Kitov. And I'm trying to remember, did we talk about Shalom? We, we did not talk about Shalom. So let's start by sort of as, as concluding that piece of what we were talking about. Um, what we did talk about was the idea that there's an aspect of us of putting out, of mashpia, of wanting to influence the world, wanting to be creative. We definitely talked about this, right? That we want to put out, we want to be creative, we want to express ourselves. We have things we want just because we crave them or passionate for them. And Hashem says, stop. No further. With the Torah and mitzvahs, Hashem tells us, this is how far you can go and no more. They're, they are a boundary. Right? That was the Kliakar who talked about how people have this aspect to them like the water, wanting to just sort of go wherever they want to go. And Hashem's saying, stop. And whereas the waters, when they stop, there's a, a, an element of frustration that Chazal tell us. They say, you know, the, the water stopped Elamitzta'er, but it, it's frustrated. It's hard for the water that it has to stop. It's forced to stop, and it keeps trying to crash against those boundaries. But when Hashem created the land and said the land should spread out and it should lift up and become a boundary to the sea, and then Hashem said to it, stop, it stopped. It just stopped. And so even this, it stopped spreading. The water or we, the land and now stopped. the land. And when the land stopped, it says, right, the Torah said, God called the, land, the dry land Eretz. And the Mephorshim told us there's another way to read that Pasuk. God called out to the dry land. Meaning he called out to it, stop. Eretz. And it became an identity of Eretz, which is, the root of it is Reish Tzadik, like Ratzon, Shenis Ratzes. It made itself pleasing to God. Say that one more time. And it became... Yeah, okay. Eretz. The land becomes Eretz. The verse is... Perak Aleph Pesukit of Gracious. Vayikra Elohim Layabasha Eretz. God called the dry land Eretz. And to the collection or the gathering of waters, he called Yamim. Okay? So, God called out to the dry land Eretz. The reason Eretz, the earth, gets it, it earned the name Eretz. It got the name Eretz from God because it made itself nisratzes, made itself pleasing to him. It it followed God's will. It wasn't what it felt like doing. 
what the land felt like doing, so to speak, was to spread out and go out as far as it wanted. And God said, stop, so it stopped. That's what it wanted. It wanted to stop where God said, stop. And that is why it is the very smallest bits of land that have the power to hold back the ocean. <clears throat> it's the sand, which are the tiniest definition of grains of Eretz, and the chol, it is the chol that stops the sea. So one of the ways that the Jews are compared to chol, kachol asher al-sfasayam, that's power. That's an element of gvura to that. So what are the elements of gvura? Right? Sometimes we'll hear this idea of chesed and then gvura and then tiferes, which somehow blends the chesed and the gvura. Right? You've heard these ideas. You've heard people talk about this. So chesed is a, a, a mashkia, <coughs> a giving out, influencing, spreading, increasing impact, that's the desire to put out. Gvura, strength, is always associated with restraint, which is why the Jewish definition of Gvura, Ezehu Gibor, who is a mighty person, who's a Gibor, someone with Gvura, Hakoveshet Yitzro, one who can conquer his inclination. It's not just a cute way of saying it, like we think we like you better when you hold back than when you hit someone. Gvura is consistently associated with restraint. The power to hold back. By the way, I heard Rav Ruven Leichter say on a, on a tape, he said, the definition of tznias is, I can, but I won't. Nothing to do with clothes. Same idea, really. Mm -hmm. Which is why tznias is associated with kedusha, and gvura is associated with kedusha. It's the same concept. Gavura is, I want to, but I can hold back. I don't have to just because I can. Not even just because I want to. That's the land, was able to stop. So that's a gavura. And so even the tiniest grains of sand, it's the hole. We don't say it's the whole yabasha even that holds back the sea. It's the sand that holds back the sea. Okay. So what we have here, and over here Hashem says it is tov. What we have here is actually a great example. If we consider this idea of Rokaha Aretz Al Hamayim, the earth over the waters. So, what we're talking about is the Gevura, the strength, being able to control and place limits on the Chesed, the desire to do and to put out. So we spoke about that, how, how who we are and our will become shaped by God's will, right? When Hashem says, these are the limits, this is where you should go, this is where you shouldn't go, right? You can do this six days a week. On the seventh day, don't do it. Eat this, don't eat that. When the Torah gives us limits, what we have to do is we have to grow from our will and our desire to be and become and our inner strength and our inner tzalem elokim and our mission all the talents, all the abilities, that is what gives us the energy to grow and the motivation. But because we hit limits, that power gets shaped. So instead of only spreading out thin, we end up spreading up. It's really a way to think about it. Like pouring a batter into a shaped pan. You can pour the batter, it'll just spread out. If you pour batter on a table, pancake batter, right? Just go straight out or cake batter. If you pour it into a shaped pan, it's going to also go up. So that's a pretty homey example. Mm -hmm. But let's say uh, a more biblical example, when we cross the Jordan River. 
when the Jews crossed the Jordan River to first enter with Yehoshua into, the, into Israel, we crossed the Jordan. How did we cross? So the Yarden float was flowing. It flows from top to bottom, however you want to think. It actually flows from north to south. But the water's coming southward. And Hashem said, only until here, no more. Because this is the crosswalk for the Jews, right? So the water didn't stop flowing. It flowed up. And the water becomes this towering wall. And it gets taller and taller and taller. That is an image for our minds, right? What happens when I hit a wall? What happens when all of us, I want to do something and I feel like I'm frustrated. And you know what? I hear it. You know, everyone has their thing where they feel like there's so much I want to do, but I'm being held back. I'm being frustrated in my will. What's the frustration? What's the obstacle? I'm not allowed to sing in public, maybe. And maybe I love to sing, but I shouldn't sing where men could hear me. I could sing where women could hear me. My family could hear me, but maybe not where men could hear me. Or... I really want to be able to go out at nights for spiritual reasons, but I can't because I have family that needs me, and that's a priority. So I could feel like the sea where I feel frustrated by that, and I keep hitting my head against that wall. And every time it happens, again, I feel like I'm hitting, and I'm thwarted. Or I can feel like, okay, so I have to find a different outlet for this, in which case now I'm like the Jordan. I've just changed direction. All that energy doesn't get stopped. It gets redirected. And what that does is it shapes us. So now we become a different shape than we might have become without those limits and without those boundaries. And the shape of that is the shape of God's will. If you think of it, to come back to my... I, so there are men who listen to this sheer on recording. So I apologize in advance because this is a woman's example, really, with the cake, right? I hate this, like, you pour it in, and when you take away the mold, when you take away the, sh the pan, the shape of the cake is the shape of the mold. When we come right down to it, the shape of who, what we achieve, when it is bounded by God's will, which is expressed to us in the mitzvahs, that's his will for our actions, then the shape of us takes on the shape of God's will. Right? It's an intersection of our will and who we want to become and who we were created to be. The, our power intersecting with God's will in the mitzvahs. And the shape that takes on is the shape that we could become. That's an awesome thing. That's awesome. Now, what we call that in Torah, the harmony, when it's not, I'm thwarted, I'm thwarted, I'm thwarted, but okay, this is a limit, so let me find a different direction. Let me see where I am meant to go with this. I'm not meant to be choked back. I'm meant to be directed. I'm being directed to somewhere. The shape that takes is called shalom. Shalom, which is like shlemut, completion, wholeness, right? Shalom, peace, here's how Rabbi Lef puts it. Rabbi Lef says, shalom bayis is not a house where people never disagree. He said, and he lives, you know, he's the Rav of a Moshav. So he says, you know, it always looks like in our house there isn't Shalom Bayis. In everyone else's house there is. He says, until the summertime, and then people have their windows open, and then you realize, you know what, in their house also, they, <laughs> they also have arguments, right? That's not what Shalom is. Shalom is when there are different wills, and there is disagreement, 
And yet, from that, you're able to build and work together and create something more than you would have had separately. Shalom is the harmonious balance of competing forces, which gives us all a lot more hope. <laughs> Even within ourselves, sometimes we have to feel like there are competing forces. So this shlemos, this wholeness, is the intersection where the competing forces actually work together to create a different shape. You need to make a bumper sticker or a magnet. So yeah. Okay, so you get it down to three words, and, and without a promise, I will make an effort. <laughs> Blue Nether, I will make an effort to make bumper stickers. Or something. Hmm? needs to be right in the kitchen. Right. That's where the forces tend to meet. I think sometimes we think it's lip service to say, oh, it's so wonderful, we all have our differences. We need all differences, and sometimes we don't really believe it. We really just want everyone to do what we want, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's not shalom, though. I lied. It's not just the kitchen. That's the bathroom, too. With Sorry. girls, with all girls. Oh. When they're... That's right. That's but, you know, you could avoid... Let's say, let's say you could afford to have every kid in your family have their own bedroom and their own bathroom. But you wouldn't achieve shalom. You might just achieve a quieter morning. You know what I'm saying? But what you wouldn't achieve is the ability to work together with other people. That's true. And right. to... Right. To so it's just harder along the way. You have to learn how to have shalom. You, that's if, right. It's just quiet. Shalom is active. It's not passive. Right. That's the point. Shalom, if shalom were passive, it would just mean, okay, not fighting. Right. But shalom isn't passive. Shalom is active. It's a creative act. It's a creation that is built at the intersection between competing forces that somehow manage to work together rather than competing forces which are thwarting one another. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's something that's true inside of ourselves, and it's also true in our relationships. It's true in the world altogether. So this is part of the definition, Rokaha Aretz al Thank you, Hashem, for setting firmly land overseas. Those are competing forces. Okay? We do mean it physically. We do mean the, the actual land masses and the continents versus the oceans. But this is, also, this is also referring to the power of the land and the power of the sea, which are, in fact, conflicting with each other. And in doing so, they create an environment in which people can live. Yeah? That competition of the earth and the sea is what creates the environment that we can live in. Yes. It doesn't limit it by choking it off. It limits it by channeling it. So if you imagine that you have a faucet on a counter, or you can have a faucet and then you can have like like a funnel coming out of it. So that's going to direct where the water goes. It doesn't stop the water. It doesn't even slow down the water, but it changes its direction. And it says the water's going to go there, but it won't go there. Rather than the, the water by itself, whose nature is to try and just spread completely everywhere. That's the nature of water. Okay? So it's not that it stops it. When we say gvura restrains chesed, it doesn't mean that it limits the amount of chesed. Only the direction. This is the fundamental to the creation of the world. I mean, we're seeing this here already. This is fundamental. The world depends on this. This is the blend of Hashem Elohim, that the Hashem puts the midos of Rachamim and Din into the world in order for the world to be able to exist. Could you repeat that one more time? Hashem, Hashem is asso- the name Hashem is associated with Rachamim or Chesed, and the name Elohim is associated with din and gevura. And the, it's the combination of those that is necessary for the creation of the world. Okay. 
that's that we said there's a name of Hashem that's like on the mezuzahs Shin Dalet and Yud, which is a contraction. Chazal say, what does that name mean? She'amar le'olamo die. He said to his world, die enough, this far no more. It's both the creation of the world and also the stopping of the creation of the world and saying, don't spread further. Now spread up. Right? We saw, we, even with the land, the land was spreading out. It wanted to keep being mit pashet, spreading itself out. Hashem said no. And one of the things that happened is it went up. And so you have mountains that come up and that collects water also within the land areas. So it's not only the shores that have water. You have internal, you have seas, you have lakes. Okay. So just uh, I'll give you two examples of the interplay of the land and the water and how that is, the fa- that is the foundation concept of Shalom, right? This is where the Torah brings this idea to us, this interplay of land with water being Shalom. And Isha Sota, right? That was just in the Parsha. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Isha Sota, that's, it's a topic that's too complicated for this amount of, I mean, yes, if that was our only topic, like a Parsha Shir. Right. The Isha Sota is not a woman who is proven to be adulterous. If she were, then her husband would divorce her. And he would have to divorce her, whether he wanted to or not. And uh, she can't marry her husband again, and she can't marry the person she had the affair with again. Okay. The situation with the Isha Sota is that she denies that anything happened, and yet there are witnesses that she was in Yichud. She was in Yichud, like they were, she was in a locked room with no windows, with, the, with a man that she was already warned in front of witnesses not to be secluded with. So she's not so pure and holy, right? But she claims that nothing happened. Now, she could, she could admit something happened. If she did, what would happen? She'd be divorced. But if she insists she's innocent, they have the option of going to the Beis HaMikdash and she can drink the soda water. I think somehow, like, because people were entranced by this idea, like novels got written, like, I don't know, people have strange ideas about soda. The purpose of soda is to reconcile a couple. It's to bring them together. Okay, if she's too afraid to drink the waters of Sota, nobody will ever force her. No woman is forced to drink the waters of Sota. All she has to do is say, I admit it. Right? It's humiliating, it's embarrassing, but everyone's going to find out anyway. Because if she drinks the waters and dies, everyone will know that it wasn't true and she'll be dead. So she, you know, it's not so nice. I, I imagine that would also be more public. People actually would be around when someone drank Sota water. You know, if you go to a basin and get a divorce, not the whole world doesn't have to know. And also the basin knows, and then you could go move somewhere else. It's a painful thing. It sounds awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the purpose of Sota is only to provide a, a way to reconcile them. Okay. So what happens? We all know that they take some earth, right? You know where the earth is specifically the earth from the Mishkan or the Mikdash. It has to be the earth from there because this is the source of land, right? We say that the world was created at the Makom HaMikdash and spread out and unfolded from there. That's the earth, and they take water also from there. And they combine them, and then Hashem's name is also added to that. Right? And we say, what? But it will get erased. That's okay for the sake of Shalom. Okay? The Shalom is created by blending together the earth and the water. In the Mesota, why do you have to have earth and water? Because earth and water is our prototype. It's our index case example of what shalom means. Of two competing 
you know, one is a, one is the uh, chesed desire, one is a giving desire, one is an active desire, and one that's a preventative and a block, and that says, no, not over here. And when those things intersect, you can make peace out of it. You can have destruction and anger and frustration, or you can have peace. Another example like that, same place, when David dug the foundations of the Beis Hamikdash, and they, they were digging down under to the bedrock. Excuse me. The waters, they breached through to make to home, like to, to underground. It's not hot springs. It's, it's deep, the deep, like deep waters. waters. I don't know. It's not a well. Deep waters are like the hot, oh, like, like thermal, yeah, thermally have... heated water, like from deep under the level of the earth. Started maybe maybe that's what hot springs are yeah okay but there isn't normally like hot springs in Jerusalem, it's because they dug deep and over there there was an outlet, so the water started to rise up and it sought to flood the earth, the measure says, so now you start to understand that because it's being held down by the earth right, but all this time the water still seeks to spread back out and it was rising and rising and rising and they were very concerned. So David HaMelech says, like, what do we do? And I think, it's, I think it was Achitofel, I'm not sure, said, well, write Hashem's name on a, on a paper or on a parchment and put it in. Again, this is exactly, right? It's the same point of conflict between earth and water. And he says, well, is it permitted to do that? Right? To, like, is that like covered to Shem Hashem? For the sake of Shalom, yes. We know that because of the halachas of Sota. And that's shalom, the, that conflict of earth and water, each one knowing where its boundaries are, that is shalom. That's how you make shalom. So we know that for that, yes, okay? So it's an interesting, very interesting um, concept and very applicable. It's a model that when we can find you know, the, the image that works for us, we can call it forth in our normal daily life and use it to help us grow up and become somebody greater rather than beating our heads against something and, and not feel that we were thwarted and not feel that we were repressed and not feel that we were denied who we are and our, our individuality and our talents, right? You, you, you must have met women like this, right? They feel like they're being held back, they're being held back, they're being held back. And sometimes it's, people feel that way just about life circumstances. It's not fair because of how much Parnassa we have or it's not fair because of the house that we have. It's not fair because of the health issues. And at some point, it's like, okay, but wouldn't it be nice to feel that you're good and your life is good and that you're productive and you could do something, right? There's such a difference when you could say, okay, well, because I couldn't go there, so therefore, I found a different place to go. And now I became something. I became something instead of all the time thinking about what I'm not becoming. Do you have a question? You had a question? Okay. Okay. So... Shalom, the harmonious balance of forces. Now we're going to fit in a second share after that one. That was the Shalom share. Okay. <laughs> it's very important. Very, very important. That's why I thought we had mostly covered it before, but whether we did or not, it's worth saying anyway. It's easy to get off on tangents with all these discussions. It is. No, this was not a tangent. It's actually okay. no, part no, of the share. <laughs> it's actually, that, that concept has a lot to do with Omer, with the number 50. So you count 49 separate pieces. 50 is an identity that's greater than the sum of the parts. It's a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. And that's associated with the number 50. 
It's in, at an interim level, it's the number eight, and in a big way, it's the number 50. So shalom is very much associated with that concept of a whole that's greater than the parts, right? Two plus two doesn't equal four. Two plus two becomes something much bigger than a four. Four is, four is more than just two twos. So is that the same idea as like you have different opinions as a husband and wife and that's you right. sit down and you that's right. reconcile it that's and right. come even with a better solution that's than right. the one of you had? That's right. One. So you can build something bigger than either one of the two of you on your own. There's an identity, let's put it this way, there's an identity of a family that's greater than the people individually within it. There's an identity there. And there's an identity in any, not in every case, but there's certain levels where you can reach, okay? Now that identity is a spiritual aspect. It's not something that you could point to, because if you point and you count up, it's 49 in Omer. But you get to 50, and there's a spiritual aspect that binds it all together. And this is a concept of 49 and 50. Okay? We will explore that more when we get close to Shema. All right. Now, there's, one, there's another area that I think it's worth applying this concept of how we relate to the barriers. How do we relate when we feel like Let's, let's put it this way. How do we wait when we feel like Hashem is, is saying to us, no, not here? It's a difficult thing. Okay? I don't mean to say always, whenever that happens, you just turn and go some other way. Because sometimes what you have to do is keep trying. Okay? I, I, I'm not making a judgment here as to how do you know when what you're supposed to do is keep trying. Are you being called upon to be persistent? Or are you being called upon to be creative and look for a different outlet? That's a very difficult question. I don't have some kind of pat answer for that, right? Like, that's, that's not easy. But sometimes, you know, you, you want to know what's God's will. So the first place you look, right? Rabbi Goldberg told me, I asked him this question, what do you do first? Find out what's the halacha. If you want to know what God's will is for you, first thing is check what's the halacha first. Because the halacha is God telling us, as well. oh my goodness, I do not have that source here with me. Wow. I was, wow. I was just looking at this amazing explanation about mitzvos, mitzvos in general. And that uh, the Orachayims was saying that mitzvos were given to us, taking into account the entire future. When the Torah was given at Har Sinai, and every mitzvah was given, God took into account every person and every situation going forward for all time. So when we go and find out what the halacha is, the halacha is speaking to us personally for who we are in the moment we are in. That's an amazing and beautiful recognition. So what happens? So that, it, it actually is helpful because it helps us understand what God's will is. But let's see where we go with that. So this is, I'm going to read you a little section. I put an excerpt of this excerpt, because this is itself an excerpt, of Rav Hirsch's commentary to the Pasuk. It's Barashas Tesvav Vav, 15.6. Ve'he'emin ba'ashem va'yachshaveha lo tzedakah. Avraham trusted in God. I, I think people would say, like, believed in God, which is 
a ridiculous translation of Ha'amin Bahashem. Because it makes no sense to say that Abraham believed in God after he just had the whole bris- he had a whole dream and a nevuah, and God said, Your children will be like the stars of the heavens, right? And they'll they'll be four hundred years. Okay. And he lifted him up above. He's having prophecy. Our understanding, in English, when someone says they believe in God, it's like this blind faith, right? That makes no sense. Avraham is talking to God, and God is talking to Avraham. That can't be what Ve'emin Bahashem means. We're not translating the word He'emin, which is emunah. We're not translating it correctly. If we could understand what this pasuk meant, we would understand what emunah meant. Okay, that's, that's the brilliance of understanding the Perushim, is they help us understand what the ideas mean. Okay, yeah, sure, sorry. Okay, so Hashem says to Avraham, look up at the heavens and count the stars if you can count them. So shall your children be. Ve'emin Hashem. What is it that Avraham did here? What, what, what is happening? What is the Torah describing to us? And God considered this righteousness. Okay, and then Hashem says, I am God who took you out of the fiery furnace and I'm giving you this land, right? Like, this isn't blind faith. <laughs> Whatever it is, his eyes are open. Okay. So first, Rav Hirsch is going to explain the problem, like I just did, but he always does it perfectly and beautifully. It's worth reading his words. The thing is, you have to already have studied up the concept to really understand what Refresh is telling you. So it does not say, Vayya'amein Bahashem, like trusting, but Vehe'amein Bahashem. Avraham's whole previous life was Emuna. He had already shown complete Emuna, and this last revelation of the future and the future of his people gave him fresh food for Emunah and fresh opportunity to exercise it. So now we have to counter the definition of Emunah into English, in his case, German, that we may have been exposed to by living in a Christian country. He doesn't say that. But listen, you'll see that's what he first does. Okay? If you didn't grow up in a Christian country, you don't have this problem. But for those of us who did, it's a problem. Right? We get stuck. Rabbi Tatz. You ever heard Rabbi Tatz talk about this? He says there are words where it's a problem if you translate them. Because the minute you use the word in English, the person can never escape the association they had with it. He said, how did he learn this? He was, I think he said, in Orsameach, and he was a young, he was, he was younger and been studying for a while, and they paired him up with somebody new. So they're talking, and they sit down, and he says, okay, today we're going to talk about malachim. And the person says, what's a malach? He says, malach is an angel. And he looks into the person's eyes, and he sees in the person's eyes a fat baby with wings. And he says, wait, it's not what you think it is. A malach is a divine emanation of God's force into the world. The person says, ah, oh, okay. And they go on and talking a little. Somebody says the word angel, and there are the fat babies again in the person's eyes. Right? You, can't, you can't escape the way you learn something was even when you relearn it. The, old, the original impression stays there. He said the next time he sat down to learn with someone, he just said, we're going to talk about a malach. What's a malach? A malach is a divine emanation of force. Right? Skip, skip the word angel because that's not helping. You just call it a malach, right? 
So we get stuck on a word like belief. Incredible. It's a foundation, right? Like this should be something we're, we're comfortable with. And yet, to a great extent, our understanding of the word belief gets colored by the way it's used in the society around us. Okay. Emuna is not belief. By which word, meaning by using the word belief, one robs this central idea of Jewish consciousness of its real conception. When you translate emuna as belief, you rob emuna of what it really means. You hollowed it out. Belief is an act of the mind. It's often only an opinion. It's always only believing something to be true by reason of judgment and the assurance of somebody else. In other words, I think so. Why do you think so? I don't know. It seems to me or because somebody told me it's what it is. In making religion into a belief and then making the cardinal point of religion believing in the ideas of theses quite untenable to the intelligence. He, he doesn't say the word Christianity. Okay, <laughs> but you hear what he's saying. A religion that says the main thing in the religion is belief. Belief is opinion. And the main thing of this religion is that you have to believe something that doesn't make sense. That is not, not intelligible. And by the way, that's true. I mean, with Christians, right? If, it, if you would believe because it made sense to you, they would say that's a lack of belief. Okay? For them, the blinder the faith, the better. That's, that's better. That's more powerful. Okay. He says, this is not, but this is not Judaism. And when you do this, religion has been banned from everyday life and made into a catechism of words of belief, which will be demanded as a passport for entry into the next world. In other words, your belief becomes something that's only relevant for your future in the next world, but it has no impact on what you're like now. That's a pretty profound uh, criticism mm -hmm. of a religion that's based on belief. Because if the main thing is your belief, then the only thing, it doesn't have any impact on what you do. And you, you don't have to account for anything. Yeah, or whatever. Right, as long as you say the right words. Right. It's a passport. It's a, it's a password. Right? Open sesame. Mm -hmm. But... To believe in the words of another is never expressed in the Torah by ve'he'emin be. At most, he'emin le. Okay, so he's making a grammatical subtlety here. He'emin le is whatever this emuna is, belief to. So it's believing the, to the words they said. But never he'emin be, believing in. He said, that does not mean to believe in the words of someone. He'emin be is not a mere substituting of our theoretical mind to the insight of another. Meaning, I think one thing, you say something else, fine, I'll believe what you said. Like, that's not what it means. He'emin ba Hashem. This emuna in Hashem, whatever emuna means, he hasn't quite told us yet, is placing full confidence, setting our whole theoretical and practical hold, our guidance, our strength, and firmness in God. Already the verbal concept amen is mainly practical. Let's say we say amen to a bracha. What does the word amen mean? So again, we're going to talk about this in the introduction to Shema because it goes with Kel Melch Naman. But we'll have a mini one here. Okay, Amen is practical. What, what is an uman? Like maise yede uman. An uman is a craftsman. Someone who knows how to build something. Okay, omanut. If you ever went to like a camp, omanut is arts and crafts. Mm. Okay. Maise uman in halacha. 
on Cholomoe, the question is, are you allowed to do something? Is it a Maise Uman? Is it something that an expert craftsman does, or is it something that's just like every day? So some kinds of actions are special, and they're, so they're more work-related. And some are just more casual, like anyone would do it. Okay, that's Maise Uman. So an Uman is a sculptor, a former. We even had it in Megillus Rus. You have it also in Megillus Esther. Mordechai is Omein Es Hadassah. He raised her. He adopted her. He trained her. He worked with her. He shaped her. Rus, uh, um, Naomi also does it for Rus's kids. It's a completely different meaning, Uman. Yeah. It doesn't mean, it mostly means hands-on. <laughs> it's practical. It's not up here in the mind especially. The main meaning of Uman, of Amen, is something practical and hands-on. Sculptor, former, one who shapes living people, a tutor, a nurse, an educator, an education. Be'amna'ito, right? Esther listened to Mordechai like she had be'amna'ito when she was training with him or educated by him. So that amen means not simply being firm, but actively making firm. You're starting to hear the shalom aspect coming out in amen, aren't you? Right? It's not passive, like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't, uh, I believe this, whatever. You tell me something else, I'll believe the next, right? No. Amen is actively making firm, to give a firm shape and definite form and direction to the indefinite material being of another. So if it's clay, it's all material with no form. The uman forms it and turns it into a shape, right? Raises it up, spins it around, carves it, turns it into a vase. The, the educator or the adoptive parent, okay, the Mordechai, the Naomi, takes an unshaped personality and educates it and shapes it into what it will become. Okay, so what Rav Hirsch has done here is he's made a reference to a concept that if you don't know it, then you will just take what he said and be educated by it. And if you do know it, He's given you enough words to give you the connection. And that is the idea of Homer and Tzura. Homer being material, Tzura being form. Homer is raw material, like unshaped clay. Tzura is form, the shape. Water is the classic example of Homer with no Tzura. And a vessel, a kli, is an example of Tzura so to speak, without Homer, right? You put water into a glass, the water then has the shape of the glass, but it doesn't have the shape by itself. The shape is imposed by the structure of the tsura of the glass, okay? So he says to give a firm shape and definite form and direction to the indefinite material being of another. You shape the other person or you shape the material you're working on. That's the person who says amen? That's the concept of amen. Now, okay. now, when it comes, it depends how you're conjugating it, who the one is being shaped. So an omen is one who shapes another mm -hmm. outside of himself. He'emin bahashem leha'amin is reflexive. So the one who gets shaped is yourself. Okay, to have a Muna 
is lehaamin, like ani maamin be'emunah shalema. Okay, lehaamin is a reflexive. That means it acts on the self, right? Like to get dressed, lehit labesh is to dress on yourself. Okay, so he'amin b'Hashem is the whole formation of your life. I, I should I should clarify for those who know grammar. I'm not an expert in English grammar, so the word reflexive might be the wrong word. What it means is it's acting on you, on yourself, the person that you're talking about. The force might not be yourself. I'm not sure with reflexive, maybe it has to be your own force acting on yourself. Here, it's not your own. The action is on yourself. Hemin Bahashem is the whole formation of your life, culture, education, direction of your being and efforts in God, leaving yourself entirely to him, giving yourself up, as plastic material to be molded by God. This predates, predates the petroleum-based plastics. Plastic means literally shapeable, like a clay. Okay, it means you could, move, you could change the shape. So it means to give yourself up as a plastic material to be molded by God. So in the context of Imuna, where our starting point is, where the water, or where the land, which one? Which one do we want to be? We can kind of choose, can't we? Because both of them wanted to spread out. Both of them wanted to grow. We want to spread out, we want to grow, we want to make a difference in the world. We want our presence to have an impact. So what happens then at the place where we're being molded? where there's a shape, where there's a wall that's gonna change our shape. We could be the water and we could pound against it, or we could be the land and we could say, okay, I'll go up. Maybe I'll become a mountain. By the way, if the land had kept stretching out, it would have been fully covered by the water again. Right? Right? Say so it would have been flat, it would have been covered by the water again. The land stopped because Hashem said stop. And so some of it gets forced up. We think that if we spread ourselves all over the place, we'll accomplish more. But we all know the truth is, it's when you focus that you accomplish. Okay? Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. You know, you know you've seen this, right? Mm -hmm. People scattered all over the place, like completely scattered. I just realized I probably didn't turn off the... Uh, And then nothing gets done, nothing happens. You get a little bit of a lot of things and nothing happens, right? So the stopping place is really what helps us grow up. And all the mitzvahs were designed knowing who each of us are gonna be and how that will interact with who we are to make us the best we can be. In short, to refer yourself and all you have entirely to God. To respond to a spoken sentence with amen does not only mean to declare it to be true. So when someone says, May God's name be great. And we say, Amen. It doesn't just mean we believe it to be true. It means to give yourself up to the truth expressed in the sentence, to make it your own, and vow to allow yourself to be guided by it. When we say Amen, it means that it's, an, it's shaping me. Not just that this statement is true, 
but that because it is the truth, it shapes me. Because God's name is great, that shapes me. Because I want to be part of the glorification of God's name, it shapes me. When we say amen, amen does not refer to the pronouncement, but to the person who hears and adopts it. That's a really different concept of emuna. Emuna means letting yourself be shaped by the truth. Right? So that when you realize this thing is true, therefore it has implications. It means something to me. Oh, now that I know that now I realize this is true. Okay, what does that what does that tell me then? How's that going to play out? When I learn about the land and the water, what is that going to mean in my life? Right? What kind of events am I going to see? That's emuna. Emuna is I learn something true, and it's not just up in my head. But it has a pathway to coming down and shaping my head, and it will shape my heart, and that will shape my hands. It will shape my actions. It will shape me then I'm going to be a different person down the line as time goes on because I have allowed myself to be given over to the truth. Okay. So. So our desires are like the water and yeah. Hashem's mitzvot are like the land. We can see it that way. I think possibly the easier way when we want to, if we want to think in terms of choice, mm-hmm. then yes, like, you're right. The water would be the classic and the shape of the chomer. Right. <clears throat> with the shape, sorry, my throat is. And the shape is imposed by the land. Right. But we can go a step earlier to that in terms of thinking about our own choices. We can choose, do we want to be more of a land or do we want to be more of a water? Because in both cases, the medrash tells us that God told it to stop. We had two different medrashim, Right? One was that the, la- the waters were spreading and spreading, and Hashem told them to stop. And they did, but they're mitzta'er lasos. They suffer from it. It frustrates the water that it has to stop. And then we had a different medrash about here where the land was spreading, and Hashem tells the land, stop. And it stopped, and it's called Eretz. It's called Eretz because it was nisratzes. It shaped itself to God's will. I think it's worth pointing out, okay, what we're talking about here is an ability to receive, to be shaped, okay? That's, we, we said, even in terms of shalom, right? There's sort of the intersection here of shaping versus allowing oneself to be shaped. And every person has both aspects in us. We all have elements of mashpia, of influencing, of shaping, and elements of mushpa, it's called, which is receiving shaping, like being shaped, being influenced. A woman in general is associated more with being shaped. Um, That's not true. With imposing shape. Okay? We're the ones who receive, right, genetic material of a child, and we're the ones who shape it and develop it into a baby. Okay? Men are associated more with all over the place. Is one associated more with water and one with land? Or? Yeah, I imagine men more with water and women are associated. Not imagine. Because I men are associated with water, water right away when you It doesn't mean them. you're not because there's upper waters and lower waters. Oh. But yeah. 
you're not too far off. But we all, we all have both. Mm -hmm. Men and women both have both elements. It's a mistake sometimes people think like men are all one, women are all another. And that's because everything that's created has both elements. Everything that's created receives blessing and also gives blessing. Are creative people like more water like, or more? I have a feeling that creative people feel that more. But the truth is even people who aren't artistically creative also no, have a wellspring of something inside of yeah, them no, that they need to let out. Um, it just may not be that. Right. It might be some other thing. It might be, it might be even, a, a, sort of sounds funny, but like a creative ability to impose order. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, right? Like but with, within yourselves, that's sort of, yeah. Like I'm saying people, yeah. they ha the force to put out is a creative force, even if it's not creative in an artistic sense. Right. It's still a construct, uh, um, really an, a pretty much unstoppable internal force to, to give or to put out, or to be productive, or to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And really, we want that. We don't want to try and bottle that up. It's always this bad effect. Right. <laughs> right? What you want to do is find the channel for it. You want to find where the outlet is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people who have a lot of energy, that way it's harder, because it's hard for them to find a suitable outlet, especially when they're little. <laughs> and you get older, sometimes it's easier to find an outlet that's suitable. OK. So one element that we see, oh. I went over time. I'm sorry. Okay, we see that we can be shaped by God's truth. When we say Shasani Kirtsono, I found that learning this also gave me a little bit of a feeling like Shasani Kirtsono, God made me according to his will. That relationship with Eretz, that relationship with the land which is shaped by God's will. And in this way, it achieves its full strength, right? Because nisrates is according to the will, ratzon, yeah. right? So I thought that was kind of an interesting concept. It's been playing in the back of my mind since I was preparing this year. Really, we're talking about rokaha aretz alhamayim. So right? rokaha aretz alhamayim is more than just this, the, the land and the water. We're also talking right. about our own selves. Then. We are talking about our own selves. Now, the fact is, everything in the physical world speaks to us of the spiritual world behind it. So when it, that even when we're not saying a bracha, that's how we're meant to relate to the world. Mm -hmm. The brachas help focus us on it. So we really, really do mean the physical land and the physical water. But the reason we really do mean that is because the physical land and the physical water are also a spiritual reality. They're just the tip of the iceberg. They're the bit that we see physical. But we have to take from it that there's a spiritual reality, and we have to try and apply it to ourselves. That's where the amuna comes in. That's what real amuna is. It's a way of taking that which you see and that which is true and then applying it into your life so that it becomes something that's part of you. And now you are different because of that. Now you're shaped. Okay. So this is serving Hashem, living emuna, living in emuna with concrete actions and mitzvos, meaning the actions that we take, the difference in our lives, because of the truth, is an expression of rokaha aretz al hamayim. Sorry, I yeah. spaced out. It's okay. Living in emuna, uh -huh. living in a way where our actions are shaped by the truth, is an expression of rokaha aretz al hamayim. In a way where our actions. Okay. 
are an expression of what's true. That's emuna. Emuna doesn't stop in your head. Emuna is, this is what's true, this is what is, this is God's word, therefore it is reality. Vayomer Hashem, right? Vayomer, vayikra Elohim layabasha Eretz. God's word is the truth. That is what creates the world. The world was created through God's word. <clears throat> so the whole Torah is God's words. This is truth. This is the reality, the actual physical reality and the spiritual reality. Therefore, when we live in accordance with what is true, that's emuna, and it shapes who we are. That is rokaha aretz alhamai. That is a domination of land over waters. And I think there's something particularly beautiful and poignant about the fact that the ability of the Eretz to stop and be shaped by God shapes not only the Eretz, but it shapes the waters as well. There's something very, I, I don't even know, I, I certainly haven't, you know, plumbed the depths of this. I don't, it's a good thing. But there's something profound, I think, to the fact that the ability of the land to stop where God said stop and to stop happily, willingly, because I want to do the way God wants me to do, that's what I want, the land then not only has shaped itself, it's shaping the waters. The waters want to overflow, and God tells them stop, but how does God stop the waters? With the land. It's like a very, example it's quite amazing. Water. It's enough power not only to shape itself, but to shape the water. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. I have a side question. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're officially. Officially. <laughs> okay. Thanks. So. We get to work. Shalom, Emuna, Rokah, Aretz, Al Hamayim. And Amir Tashem will start, even though I've got all these other notes, we're going to start a new topic next week. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, wait, next week, next week there's still school, right? Right, next week there's still school. Okay, we have to, think, have to think carefully how to handle that then. Okay. I don't want to leave in the middle of a bracha, that's for sure. Yeah, okay, you had a question. Uh, the fact that Adam was created out of land, mm. uh, how does that <laughs> interplay with the fact that um, men are have more of a personality of ideas and spreading. So, yeah, that, that's very topic. deep, very deep. But I would just point out that Adam being created from land is Adam and Chava. It's not men versus women. That's men right, and right. women. I'm sorry. That's, I, so it's yeah, humankind. That's humankind. That's not one or the other. True. Yeah, you know what? That is true. It's absolute. Yeah. yeah women and yeah, yeah. men were also were part of that. But I feel like yeah. maybe he was a little bit more molded before, like he was more molded before she was created. Yeah. So. But maybe it's kind of the example of the land. That the land, it seems like land is sort of the example of being happy under the will and of doing God. doing the son of Hashem. There's a very strong interplay, the interplay of land and water. Water in all kinds of forms, okay? Remember, one of the explanations that we had at the very beginning of Rukaha Aretz al-Hamayim was a whole water cycle. 
right? The water that falls on the earth and it drains down into the oceans and it evaporates back up into the clouds and it comes down again. There's an interplay of water and earth that is, expands beyond even the boundaries of the coast. Right? There, right. there are other, yes, there are other right? That's what holds back the earth from being covered and essentially wiped out uh-huh. by the water. But the earth needs the water. Is, is right. like a volcano, like not shalom? <laughs> <laughs> like is there it's eruption? Funny. So I have a friend <laughs> who's from a place in Ecuador that's like under, she's showing me these pictures from her house. Look how beautiful. And you see the volcano like smoking and glowing. And I'm like... People aren't nervous. No, 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 no. It always erupts the other way. Like, <laughs> I don't know. The, I don't know the meaning of volcanoes in Torah. And then I, I was know. also thinking, like, the whole time you're talking, I think you know your brain kind of. I was thinking about global warming and how, what a reflection it is on society because. Right now, man is. It seems like. There's this lack of God in society, and so, like with the global warming, like the the issue with the ice icebergs right. melt, like there's ice melting. There's, you know, like the waters are just gonna sort of become right. out of control. Start to appreciate that water getting too high is a problem. It is it, right, and and they're not constrained. They're not. It's it's. That's right. It's make it is a problem. Right. That's why I remember right. one of the explanations, and we're, we're predating any, you know, Al Gore by a lot of years, right? Rokaha Aretz Al Hamayim also includes the fact that a lot of water is held in solid form right. as glaciers, right? So that it won't flood, because if it lets down, then the whole water level rise. I mean, there's all these elements that are already. And maybe if we, besides the fact that we need to clean up the earth, but even just mankind needs to sort of be a little bit more restrained. That's definitely and, true. And, <laughs> and we need God to be responsible for land. God will take care of the land. He will not right. let his will be thwarted. But we were put on this planet at, with a task, La'avda Ula Shamra. Even Adam in Gan Eden was told, La'avda Ula Shamra. I'm putting you on this planet to work it and to guard it. There's a sense of responsibility. You have yeah, to be responsible. But also, yeah. there's an appreciation. When you think of the land as where your food will grow and develop and the environment in which people grow and develop, right? And that this is God's delivery source for, you know, it's not the UPS truck, it's the lamb that, through which God sends us what we need to eat or whatever, then, like, really, how likely are you to just throw all your gum wrappers there, right? Like, it, some of that comes from appreciating what we have which I think in modern society, people are very disconnected from, from the, we're even more disconnected than ever between our efforts and the results. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because the truth is always we feel a sense of disconnection between efforts and results. That's always a tricky, there's always a tricky balance. Like if I feel like if I work harder, I'll make more money, but Hashem is the one who decides how much I earn. So which is the, the effort and result really have, there, there is like a gap there, right? Because you could put in a lot of effort and not get the result that you thought you would get. Or you could put in a lot of effort and get some other result that's better or worse. Or, or you put in a whole different effort and it's still the, the other deal comes through. You're working hard on one deal and some other deal just happens, right? So we start to realize, you know what? God is calling upon me to make the effort. But the results are all his hands. 
It's not in my hands. And yet, I'm, it's called upon me to make an effort. I have to do a certain amount of work. He wants me to work. He wants me to do it. So it's always this, this balance of, of realizing that there's, there is a gap there. But in today's society, you have a double gap. There's the gap of people, you know, you do a few clicks over here and groceries show up on your doorstep. Like, you don't plant seeds and then plow the ground and then water it and then weed it and then harvest it and then cut it and then cook. Like, you know, you order from one of these things and they just deliver pre-measured ingredients cut up and ready to saute. You know, like, it's a completely different kind of disconnect. And also, it's a real. It's a good model for us. The difference between what did I do and what did the result come out to be? What did I do was I pushed buttons and created little electrical circuits, and the outcome was food. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. It's funny that in that in this generation, you know, people could live like this and not understand that like it could be that what I need to do is say a bracha to get the food. It's so funny off the subject that there's, there's places that you can actually go and pick your fruits and vegetables and um, you know we come by the green beans and you know they grow under green beans grow under so the kids look for where oh there's no more left and then you pick it up and there's just you know hundreds but then they don't they don't just want to leave it on the plate they don't want to take more and then have it be wasted they don't want it to get left in the fridge and nobody cooked it and it just got rotten right when your own effort is involved right. in it, you yeah. care about it and appreciate it more. So there is this kind of like, the effort that we put in, it's not that it causes the results. The effort that we put in connects us to the results. It's not the same thing. And the fact that we're connected to the results and the fact that we put the effort in is an opening for us to be givers. Because otherwise, in this world, we would only be receivers because God is providing for us. The fact that we put work in, even though we can't really cause results, but the fact that we put work in is a gift to us to allow us to be givers, that we're able to do, that we're able to try, that we're able to. Rafersh has a beautiful essay on this. I think it's the fifth essay in the 19 letters. There's a little book called The 19 Letters about the world is created with the letter hey, the world is created with chesed. Everything has to give, everything has to receive. Everything, down to the smallest dandelion. Everything has both, something both to receive and something to give. It has both, both uh, sides of the coin. Right. Everything is necessary, everything is needed, everything's a giver, everything's a receiver. Are you coming tonight to the... Radio? Yes, tonight and tomorrow. You're going tomorrow too. I asked you out because my other kids. Do you know what you took a photo? I think so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 